there is something you should see. Take a look. What's this? Sofia Lopez handing the beast something. You owe me. You owe me? What does that all mean? You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. This match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mr. Green. You are listening to the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast. And we have gone off into another week. First off, thank you for those who tuned in to the, uh, the previous podcast. And uh, I think the Joyce Grable, uh, I guess, tribute segment. Um, thank you for that. And uh, tune in for, for a while. <laughs> the wild review. I've, I've gotten <laughs> to where I think some people... Uh, expect a different viewpoint of WoW rather than the very sanitized version of it that they give. And, and again, you know, I, I've said a couple of times, I'm not trying to bash WoW necessarily, but there are just certain things on there that kind of shoot over my head in terms of the jumping logic and, and continuity. And even without mentioning any names. <laughs> And there are even people who participate in WoW who acknowledge that there are jumps in logic and continuity. So I'll leave it at that. This is the review of episode 205, the second season. Although if you are looking at it on YouTube, it will be labeled as episode 57. It would go chronologically. The original air date was uh, October 14th. If you're looking at a Saturday, that I'm, I'm going off of when I generally see it, which is on a Saturday. Of course, there's some places that say it's, the air date would have been the 15th the next day. Um, <clears throat> before we go into the full of the review, I, I have to bring up something that, you know, I, if you've listened to this for any number of times, you know, I work in a TV environment in my day-to-day job. And I get asked questions from coworkers because they know, you know, that I, I watch WoW. And in fact, in the hub that I'm at, WoW airs while we're there on occasion. Well, not on occasion, every weekend. And um, during one of these talks, we were talking about their social media because one of the people in there is a social media guru. And it, I in the midst of conversation said that you know wild never has any negative comments it does that their wild faithful is amazing they they get on there and they flood it with you know this is great i love this and da 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 um i said that they always come out for lack of a better term in droves and praise wow didn't think of nothing about the, the statement and then she says, well, you know, that's probably not entirely true. I'm like, what do you mean? It's more likely. 
because she did this for a living before you know getting there. and i believe she does on on the side right now but she said what's the more likely scenario that that you're seeing with wow is that they are probably editing the comments to fit the narrative of the show it's like if when you go onto a large company sometimes they just turn it off if they're more comments than they can handle example in this case would be something along the lines of like the wwe if you look at the wwe's youtube channel oftentimes they just shut the comments off and they're not the only ones there there's other companies that do that but they rather than deal with having to pick and choose and go through and find what comments we want to keep and what we don't it's just easier for them just to turn the comments off and you're not able to to say anything about it at all you just watch it and then you're and you're done she said well given what you say about wow not having a vast social media uh you know platform or at least not having millions upon millions of people because she doesn't watch it even when it's on in that room she doesn't watch it she just you know flips over to one of the other states or cities and find something else to monitor rather than have wow up on our screen um so what given what you say about that was the more likely thing is that they have someone there that if you do make a comment about wow regardless of whether it's pleasantly phrased uh constructively phrased or downright mean that very likely that they just remove it altogether because if it doesn't fit the narrative to what they are saying, they may not want you to see it. And I thought, you know, I, I honestly, that didn't cross my mind. I thought it was something I was like, you know, I need to bring that up. I, I, and I made note to bring that up that, you know, maybe they do remove negative comments. Now, of course, in her, her educating us on that, it's like, look, they didn't invent it. That's the first thing. If, and she's like, I'm not saying that this is what they do. It's just very likely. It's like they, if they do this, assuming that that is the case, they did not invent that strategy. That those things happen. You know, companies want to present well. It's it's kind of like you know, and she used the TV analogy for me. It's kind of like when you're doing the TV taping, and let's say that you don't have a lot of people in the audience, so you remove certain chairs and then you move people to in front of the camera so you can present the idea that it's a larger audience than it than it actually is or when you go into the studio and then you have somebody that's that holds up the applause or flips the applause switch it's it's the illusion that they're trying to present relative to the product that they have so when it's explained like that's okay well that that does make sense i you know felt like I need to test this theory. I went on my personal YouTube page and went to one of their matches. And as nicely as possible, phrased my concern, we'll say. The match that I put it on, you know, for those who may want to know, was the uh, Americana Spring Break 24-7 versus Fury, Holiday, and Siren match. And basically saying it was a little underwhelming 
that this is the blow off to what was supposed to be an angle built around revenge. Uh, if you recall and you saw the match, this was what they said she finally got her revenge on. When the truth of the matter is, and uh, anybody can go back and watch it, she did two things in the match. This was mostly spring break 24 7. Americana basically got in and did like a, a sprint, a hand flip elbow into the corner, and then she did a moonsault, and that was it. That, that was pretty much it, and that was the revenge. And given the context of why she allegedly wanted a match, it just seemed somewhat underwhelming. Maybe it's too difficult to phrase that in a way that sounds nice. I don't know. I tried the best I could. I would say within three hours, I didn't see that comment anymore. Gone. So that said, I think that she may have been correct <laughs> that if you have comments that are on their page that do not fit into the narrative of what WoW wants, it's probably just removed altogether. So I, I have to refrain from just saying, oh, it's just a WoW faithful that shoot over there and they just get praise upon praise upon praise upon praise. Because if you are saying something, at least until I see differently, if you're saying something there on their page, on their videos that they feel do not work within the parameters of what they want Wild to be presented as, it's very likely that no one else is going to read that. I just thought that was an interesting point of note. And I will also say this, just as a side piece to this whole social media thing, because I don't want it to come off like, you know, uh, WoW is absolved from from all crime here in, in, in the social media sphere. Uh, they're as guilty for, for doing things as I am or, or any other, you know, company happens to be. It just so happened in this case, you know, me putting the comment on there with, if I were not going into that um, as a test, I would have been upset about it. But it's a test because it was presented to me that way and I wanted to try it out. Um, but a couple of years ago, when WoW was trying to relaunch, I'm going to say six to seven years ago. Now, now this is not this relaunch, the relaunch that they did uh, for Access TV. And it might have been a little bit, yeah, it was certainly before that. WoW was a spam machine. Whoever was working on their their social media at that point they just spammed the crap out of i'm not gonna say everybody i was about to say everybody but they spammed the crap out of me <laughs> so, so I, I can say that proof positively what wound up happening is that they would get on I, i'm assuming whatever women's wrestling sites that they could find and they would just i'm gonna read it right now do you love women's pro wrestling then you'll love Wild Superheroes, exclamation point. We have new episodes coming out soon. Be sure to subscribe. They, they hit every video that I had with that same comment over and over and over again. Because at that time, I was doing great numbers for videos, <laughs> for, for the wrestling matches before the pandemic kicked out. Those videos were killer. Um, 
And I didn't have to go in and remove any of those comments. YouTube did it for me. The uh, At least the algorithm of YouTube did. YouTube's algorithm came in and identified that as spam. And by the time I, I would say the third or fourth, maybe fifth time they did this on the video, it just it started going off into the help for review folder. I, I never saw it again, but I just I just say that to say that WoW has done these things on other people's channels as well as having them done to them. So it is not a it's not a case of that they're just you know we're protecting our brand. They they do whatever they feel like they have to do, and rightfully so. To get their brand out there and get it across, and you know, make get people to watch it and so on and so forth. But yeah, that they, they they were bad about that. And I also say that listen, having to respond to negative comments on your channel is never fun. It's never fun. I've had to do it, but uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've removed any. I've responded to some, but I don't know if I've removed any. And in one particular case, my response to it actually opened up a dialogue between me and that person. It was about six years ago, and I, I promise I'll get to the wild review in a second. But it was about six years ago, I think. It was for one of the ladies' nights videos, and it's like, oh, you know, I wish I was on commentary. No offense, but I think I could have did a better job. And this is in one of the earlier videos, and I said, well, you know, that... I don't take any offense to that. And if you feel like you do a better job, so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. And we actually spoke with each other for a little while there, just based on that. And like I said, it opened up a dialogue. So it, I don't know if if uh, responding or having those comments is necessarily a bad thing. Look, I get it when somebody gets on there and they're just flat out, this sucks, I hate this, dude, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah. If that is going up on while I absolutely understand because that's just annoying. When somebody does a constructive criticism, however, I feel a little bit differently about it. And I don't mind the constructive criticism because that's probably the reason that I changed certain things on the show to begin with. Once that person was able to, because the comment thing wasn't the only one, especially in the beginning. Uh, Once those people were able to tell me I don't like this and this is why. And I would ask, okay, well, what what is it that you don't particularly care? Well, you know, you don't use a, it's not a good camera angle. So I changed the camera angle. And a couple of later, you know, months down, somebody's like, yeah, you know, it'd be great if, but if you could use a multi-shoot. And I would do that. You know, I was like, if, if you're offering something to the conversation rather than just complaining for the sake of complaining, then, you know, I don't really see the issue. That's a side note that uh, really has nothing to do with WoW in particular. I think that's information that is for anybody that's doing a channel or, you know, uh, on any sort of public content. Uh, I think that, that was that's just advice just for the, the masses. We'll leave it at that. So anyway, <clears throat> so let's get into the, um, the meat of the show. And this show starts off with Princess Ozzy formally being given the championship. As we saw, she defeated Tormenta. Tormenta took the fall in the championship match. Penelope Pink was not 
pinned, which, of course, became the bone of contention between the, the heel faction and the babyface faction. But we're, what, what was that, uh, about a week, week or two ago? And they had a triple threat. And Princess Ozzy gets it. And then Lana Starr gets the championship, which she has at death side because she's on commentary. Gets it. Tell Penelope, tells Penelope Pink, come on. And they run away with belt. So we later see David McClain. He goes and retrieves the belt. Lana Starr's complaining about it. This isn't what I signed up for. You know, to see my champion was a pin. That, that's what she's saying in so many words. But Dave McClain, you know the rules. And a triple threat champion doesn't have to be pinned. Yada, yada, yada. The things that we know, but in fairness to the show, he's re-explaining it for people who may not have known that. People who may have been brand new to it. They're, they're now being introduced to the concept of the triple threat. So we get back to this episode and Ozzy is now formally given the championship. And as such, it invites, well, I mean, not literally invites, but they storm the ring. Lana Star, Vicky Lynn, and Penelope Pink come out to interrupt. All of this basically leads to a challenge being given and a challenge being accepted. This was a nice segment. It was nice for a couple reasons. One, I, I've, I think having the figurative passing of the torch in front of the, you know, the audience, we're giving you the championship, we're crowning you as our, as our new face, more or less. I mean, I don't think it's going to last long, personally, but I, we're crowning you as our new face, basically. Um, two, Penelope Pink, and I don't know if this was instructed by her, she did the right thing and aiming her comments towards the champion rather than aiming them at David McClain to tell the champion, which a lot of people do. She has a problem with Princess Ozzy. So she directed those comments towards Princess Ozzy. It's a small thing, but Wilde does have an issue, or at least they did at certain points where David McClain becomes the buffer to whatever problems exist. And not he doesn't need to be the buffer for everything. He doesn't need to have to do all of that stuff. She aimed towards who her problem was, and I like that. And by proxy, Ozzy gets up towards her. And now she's, hey, look, if you want a title shot, that's fine. I got no problem giving you a championship match. So we can, you know, again, this isn't verbatim. So we can settle this. Good segment, good segment. Uh, nice pro wrestling segment. And that's the probably the highest praise that I could give inside of a wow environment. So we get that, and we know that we're going to aim towards this going into the main event. Now, of course, <laughs> you don't want to read too deeply in that because every wrestling promotion does this now where, you know, the people just are able to assign themselves their own match. But, you know, we'll, we'll let that slide we'll give concession to that everybody does it i guess so the first segment following this or segment two in the first match is adriana gambino the returning adriana gambino she's been there again but you know this is what her second match since being back i think and she's taking on the resident uh, utility player chantilla cella 
Gambino is announced as the goddaughter of the Gambino crime family. I'm not entirely sure that they should use that. If they can't get anything out of it, I don't know if that's worth bringing up constantly. Like, hey, she's the goddaughter of the crime family. Whether it's true or not, I mean, I, I don't think it is, but it, if it isn't, I don't believe that they have they stand to gain anything from that. I like I don't I don't look at their audience as somebody that's gonna be like, ooh, she's part of the Gambino crime family. Wow, I gotta I gotta look at this. And if she is, then I definitely don't want to bring it up because I don't know what kind of uh repercussions that might have or whatever the case may be. But anyway, I don't think that they have anything to gain from saying that she's part of some sort of crime family. One way or the other, unless they unless it's going to be introduced there, and if they're going to introduce it, then they should have just made up one. You know, they they, they could they can control their own universe in that they could have a crime family. It doesn't have to be attached to a le, uh, legitimate crime family that exists in the universe or exists in the world somewhere. But uh. That is, you know, that's what they decide to do. And they want to, I, I guess, give her some extra credibility if, if, if you want to call it that. But one thing I will say before I even talk about that is Gambino, it, she looks like a star to me. Adriana Gambino looks like a star. I don't know what they can do to kind of capitalize or help build her up a little bit more, but she looks like somebody who needs to be on TV. She's, she's especially in, in the wrestling environment, she's got a tall, lean look, very tan, you know, attractive young lady, and she works well. And not for nothing, I would say the same thing, probably exists to a lesser degree to Cella. She's not as statuesque as uh, Gambino is, but Cella is... A great utility player, almost too good for her own good, and I was I would apply that to um, a couple of people here, where they're they're at a point in their career where they can really help other talent out, but if they were looking to go anywhere further than just being a utility player, it's almost like you being this good in the ring and able to make the other person look good because of your skill almost works against you. And I would say Chella is one of those people. She It almost works against her that she is as good as she is. This match is okay. I, uh, the audience was dead for it. I mean, I just, you can go and look at the match. They, they almost like they're just sitting on their hands throughout the majority of this. It's like I don't know at what point in the night this took place because some of them just look tired. <laughs> some of them look like they are completely disinterested. But the as it's not a phenomenal match, but it's not a bad match either. But as good or as it may be, very little of this got the crowd engaged. They did get it at some point, but it, very little of that did they like come off their seat for. Did they care about? I mean, they they did like a double high cross body spot, and it still came off like it was yeah. It was it was just a fart in church, as they as as, as certain people like to say. <clears throat> but getting towards the end of the match, again, I, I think that um, Chella does a a good job. I the fact that she got 
a championship match may have been the thank you for her, and she probably deserves that. Because I don't know if she's ever going to win the championship, but at least it gave her a main event, despite the fact that on camera there's really no justified reason that she would have it. But I can understand. I was like, you know, they they may have needed to just, hey, look, we need we want to put you in the main event, and you deserve it. And she does. I still hate the name. I still hate the name of Chantilla Chella. It's just a dumb name. But, you know, to each their own. So at any point, at the end of the match, there's a spot where Chella is going for a cutter of sorts. Now, I don't know if I would use that considering that it's like Princess Ozzy's big setup. I, I wouldn't want multiple people using the same thing. So I, I, I probably would have said, can we come up with something else that you can utilize as, as a go-to instead of this stunner slash cutter move that you're doing? But she goes for it, and Gambino shoots her off. And she catches her with like a pump kick, boom, right there into the side. Now, it wasn't a great camera angle for it because it didn't come off as devastating because of that camera shot. But it it did the trick in telling the story that uh, it put her down, and then Gambino's trying to go for her finish. Chella's able to counter out of that, and then she hits the cutter that she was trying to get to begin with. Gambino sells it like a champ. She almost rock-like when she shoots up like a cartoon character and comes down with this mega bump. <clears throat> but as she does that and Chella goes for the cover, she's able to kick out. Chella's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she kicked, you know, she's, she's stunned. After that, there is the attempt for a rear waist lock. She shoots, well not shoots off, but kind of turns her around quickly and is looking for a spin heel kick. As tall as she is, Gambino got her tall frame down and ducked it. And I'm sure part of that came from the height that Cella put into the kick. But uh, considering that she's somewhat taller than her, I'm, I'm a little impressed because sometimes that timing gets to be an issue. And... When you don't have that kind of timing with each other, you you can just graze somebody's. I mean, I've seen that where they're like, "Oops," you know, they barely miss. But uh, it it came off really well, you know. It, even though Gambino was down by the time she did it, but it, it but it didn't show that as being obvious. She kicks in the guts, catching a, a cradle neckbreaker, and one, two, three. Gambino wins against the the victory and the arm raise. The crowd boos just out of, <laughs> they know that they're supposed to boo, but honestly, they were really, really just sitting on their hands, not doing a thing. I mean, I guess you have to expect that when you get and deal with marathon tapings, when you're doing like 10 episodes a night or, or over the course of the weekend or what have you. But it was it was fine. I just I wish that it had come off a little better on TV because the crowd does help make certain things feel exciting through the TV screen at times, and there was no way that they could do this. No amount of sound sweetener could fix this based on what you see in the audience. You just have to be able to look at it and know that the match is fine based on what you're seeing rather than what you hear. But her winning, her being Adriana Gambino was no surprise. Uh, to the commentators, I would 
I wouldn't continue to use names like Ric Flair and Triple H as comparables to Wild Girls. That Stephen Dickey tends to do that a lot. It's like, oh, she's kind of like Triple H or Ric Flair. And Dave McClain does it too. It's just a side note. I would tend to do that a little less. That's a high bar. Regardless of what I think about Ric Flair personally these days, to say that anybody in that company is comparable to Flair or comparable to Triple H or any other legend that they tend to pull out to to um, describe their girls or compare them to, I was like, I, I would tone that down just a bit because that that is a high bar to hit, especially when you have other girls out there that they can compare them to. You know, there there's a Mercedes Monet, there's a Trish Stratus, there's a Lita. You know, there's <clears throat> there's the people in their own universe that they use as legends like jungle girl you know there's people in impact wrestling their knockouts division your gail kims or your jordan graces and whoever whoever else i mean there, there's other than that. i understand that they're not as recognized names across the board as rick flair and triple h but it just no offense to them but there's no comparison there next thing that we got it's a Gloria Glitter vignette. Now, for those of you who do not know who Gloria Glitter is, she wrestled for a long time as Delilah Doom. And she continues to wrestle as Delilah Doom. She is the veteran in this matchup, regardless to whether or not you have seen her on TV. And I know for the um, the Wild fans, the one that's, that's just watching her through this show they're going to see it the other way around they're going to look at her and like oh well you know Candy Crush is the veteran in this instance and of course how they present her does not change that but Delilah Doom has been wrestling for quite some time if I I want to say it's been into 10 years by now if not exactly on 10 years she is really close to 10 years. Um, but the person that was operating this match or calling this match, clearly Gloria Glitter. <clears throat> but I'm skipping over the vignette and talking about that. This is basically her creation with a different name slapped on it. A little bit more cartoony, granted. But Gloria Glitter is essentially Delilah Doom with a, is, as a palette swap. Now, that's about the best way that I can describe it. Is she a cartoon character? Yes, but this is not all that different than the lost in the 80s Delala Doom gimmick that she had been doing. The only thing that they did that um, that I think extended the Gloria Glitter version of it is that it is more in line with the 80s aerobics thing rather than just I'm lost in the 80s and aerobics is part of it. If that makes sense, so she's she gets her own vignette and they introduce her and you know it was an understandable promo. I mean, um, it wasn't just needless rambling for the sake of rambling. Yes, she did speak in in the tone of her character, but I I didn't I didn't find anything wrong with this beyond the fact that the second I saw this video pop up on the screen, I said she's losing. 
I knew the moment that she got up on the screen, I was like, this is not going to be a win for Gloria Glitter. So <clears throat> we'll go to the next segment, which is the match. And we have Glitter coming out first. She's coming, checking her pose, got a finger on her, her neck and all that good stuff. But she is playing the part of the jerk aerobics instructor. She's reaching a hand out to the audience like, I want to shake a hand. Like, no. She, you know, she goes up the steps, goes back down, and she goes up the steps, and she's getting in there doing exercise and whatnot. So she, she is full in on her gimmick. <laughs> and, and I have to repeat, given that this gimmick was originated for the most part by Gloria Glitter, a.k.a. Dalala Doom, this is nothing surprising to me. It doesn't shock me that she already has this down. And like she she fits into this like a hand in a glove. It doesn't it doesn't come off like somebody just wrote it up for her and she's like, hey, okay, you're gonna be Catwoman. We'll just call you Katrina Jinx, you know, or something like that. It 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 didn't relate to me like that at all. It felt like she knew who Gloria Glitter was the moment that she was presented Gloria Glitter. Now I don't care for the Gloria Glitter name. I understand it because, you know, they like flashy cartoony names like that but her opponent is candy crush and we will get into candy crush a little bit later on but um candy crush is her opponent we you know we've had some ups and downs with miss crush i i have grown to like her i don't necessarily grow to like her creative but i have respect for her and the effort that she has put in and as i'm watching this match it's giving me the impression that she's either worked a little better trained a little harder and she's probably very um teachable in the ring very teachable and i thought this was a a fun match I, I must admit, I, I thought that Glitter and Crush was a fun match without the obvious loss that we knew that Gloria Glitter was going to get. But without the obvious loss of that, she had a match with her that came off as, in my view, competitive. And it worked. It worked. I mean, I I really, truly enjoyed the, the match that they had between each other here. Um, honestly, this is one of the things I was thinking about doing like a watch along at some point. This is one of those matches that I would have nominated as a watch along. Like, let's sit down and watch this thing and just do the call as this is taking, you know, taking place. Now, of course, there, there's portions in the match where I thought that the editors could have tightened it up a bit. But that has nothing to do with what, you know, took place between the two of them. Uh, the match, very solid. very Especially with the expectations that I walk into of wow on, a, on any given basis. This was a, a solid match. In fact, now that I have said that, what do you say that we actually do a watch along? I mean, there's nothing stopping it. So... 
you're going to get a, a brief pause here while I pull up and find a match, and then we're just going to go through this thing as the match takes place. So let me let me get this pause. It's going to feel weird because I'm just going to pop back in, but, but, but let me get this pause, and then we'll pick it up. All right, and we're back. So, yeah, like I said, it was going to be weird, so I apologize. Anyway, so what we're going to do here, for those who want to participate with that, you, you are going to go to YouTube. You're going to go to the Wild Superheroes channel, and you're going to go to Gloria Glitter versus Candy Crush. This is, uh, uh, where's the date on that? I mean, it shows us uploaded nine days ago, but that's not going to be relative to you if you don't, if you're not listening to this on this day. Uh, October 16th. So on October 16th, upload of Glory Glitter versus Candy Crush. It should be the only one that's there, but <clears throat> just in case they have a rematch in the future, you know, for my future self or future listener, perhaps, I want to be specific. So pull up the match. And... Get past the opening advertisement that they're going to have, you know. And what we're going to do is we're going to start at zero on the video. It might be a second or two off, but we're going to try to start this at zero. And I am going to count it in, and when I say play, hit play. So you can put your cursor over the play button, and then we will uh, start this thing up together, and we can do the review as a unit, all right, so the video is up. Gloria Glitter versus Candy Crush. I've moved my playhead down to zero, zero, zero. The match or the video is eight minutes and 46 seconds. And I'm going to start at five. And remember when I hit, when I say hit play, on the word play, hit play. Five, four, three, Two, one, hit play. All right, so now we're going to repeat some of this stuff because we see Glory Glitter coming out to ringside. She's holding her neck, like I said before. She's reaching out, and you're seeing the fans. I mean, she, she looks like she's legitimately enjoying what she's doing. And probably because this may be the biggest venue that she's been on. Look at that. She's going up down the steps, gets into the ring. Got the little workout microphone like she's going to, you know, and they they could have a lot of fun with that with her if they really wanted to. Now, I wouldn't necessarily include wild girls in, in a exercise segment. She should just get some extras and have, have a nice exercise segment. But we see Lauren in her new dress, a lot less colorful than what we've normally seen. Nice uh, microphone that matches the, the dress also. And she announces... Gloria Glitter, and she's going to announce her opponent in a little while, and you see that she's, <laughs> she is completely in in her persona, completely in character. Now, here comes Candy Crush. They got the smoke machines and the lights and all that good stuff. One thing I haven't given credit to is their entranceway. I mean, uh, the, the aesthetic of the entrance. You see some kids doing some punching and whatnot. This is wild. Like, yeah, this is for kids. So we got Candy Crush coming out. And her all pink and what, pink and white? Gives a little kiss out to the fans. Candy Crush is considered, I guess, one of their top tier girls. 
who's worked the main event but not really a main eventer. I'm still waiting on the lawsuit that's going to happen from uh, them using the Candy Crush name. <laughs> but I don't think she's a big enough fish in the sea for the uh, video game Candy Crush to care. So they rang the bell and there we go. There's the lockup and you got Glitter just already starting off on her with a wrist lock there. Reversal by Crush. And this is why I say yeah, I think Crush is, is very teachable in the ring. And there's a constant motion in that. Stomp on the foot. Goes behind with the hammer lock. Pulls her up by the full Nelson and puts the leg in front of her and puts her down. Move and counter move. She starts off well. Rear waist lock by Crush. Sends her down. They are staying, staying pretty active here. I, you know, it, it really felt like they were doing a match and trying to get a win rather than just going through spots. And while I was guilty of that on occasion, you can see right there now she's calling. That's why I said it is not far-fetched for me to think that regardless of the fact that she's just into the, the company, that Crush is, not Crush, uh, Glitter is in charge of this. She's the general in this match. That was a nice lift up in the floater by Crush. Pushes her off. And a clothesline. And she tries again, tries for a kick. So like, oh, there you are. And she comes, it is constant motion here. So even though the match is basic, they are just at each other. And it, it, it has a feel of excitement that sometimes wild matches can tend not to get. And Crush goes for the cover. Because that's what it's about. It's about trying to win. And look, she stays in character, checking her pulse, which, which is ridiculous. But, but funny at the same time. Goes out, don't really see a lot of people do that. Boom, look at that. Knees right to the back. Goes for the cover, hooks a leg. And she goes complaining to the referee. Now, when you get the time, you can go back when they did, when uh, Glitter has the uh, hammerlock, I mean, not the hammerlock, but the side headlock on Crush going toward the ropes. You can see how she positions her hands to cover her mouth so you don't see the call. High cross body or mid cross body into the midsection, pushes her back, goes up to the top, and goes over, rolls through, goes back in, and now it's Crush with a nicely executed sunset flip. I don't know if she has been practicing, but, you know, there is definite improvement, definite, definite, definite improvement with Candy Crush. And maybe it's a case of if she's in there with the right person, they can really do something with her. Hooks the legs, that, but that's the sign of a veteran. That is right there, the sign of a great kick in the face. And I'm sure it probably came into her pretty, pretty lightly, but great kick in the face. And she uses her body as a step, <laughs> as a step. And you can buy that because, I mean, because the kick in the face might have dazed her and kept her down as she goes and steps on her back. It, I, this, is, this is good stuff. And now you see she can lean her head down and she they right there. She can lean over, put her hair over her head, and she can call whatever it is that she needs to call. Pushes her off as Crush reverses it into like a pinning situation. Ducks underneath the clothesline. And she catches her with one, holds on to it, makes it a backbreaker, hoists her up. No wasted motion there at all. I mean, how good is Delala Doom? How good is she? 
you know, almost like she's doing a stepping thing right there while she's kicking in the midsection. She's going for what we commonly know as a sharpshooter or scorpion death lock. I mean, I forget what the actual name was when it was produced in Japan. But Koresh gets over to the rope now. And the story there is that you got the new girl and she's in control. She has got control over the, quote, veteran of WoW in Candy Crush. There's a forearm shot, and now she relays some information, shoots her off, sends her to the rope, ducks underneath the clothesline, comes back, ducks underneath the second one, and boom. Clothesline by Crush. Pump kick sends her back, sends her with a slap in the belly. Face plant. Crush's execution improving. Improving a lot. And Glitter checking her pulse again on the on the bottom rope. She she is really playing this thing up. She's playing up this uh, exercise guru thing. And then we got another cover. And I noticed that the referees dyed her hair to you know match her pants. I guess I, she was blonde on the uh, last season of this, but I guess she wants to have a different look. So now we got uh, the Glitter. She's shot off to the ropes. Another smack into the guts. Glitter comes back with her. Now they both go for a face plant. Works within the story. This, this is a case of Gorilla Monsoon said, gone to the will too often. Chris went and did try to do the exact same thing she did a couple of seconds ago, and this time Glitter was ready. There are very few times in a wild match where I'll say that the story can be told just between what they're doing in the ring. But this is one of those times where, like, you know, it can be told just through the physicality of what they're doing in the ring. It didn't need anything spectacular behind it. It is I am trying to win, and I'm trying to get win my debut. And, of course, Crush is not trying to allow that to happen. Leap over from the little tumble roll there. A ripcord clothesline holds her up, hoists her onto her shoulders. Glitter knows what's coming because she's seen her on TV real soon and stops it, knows that the finish was nigh, and gets out of it. Boom. Was that a gory bomb. Goes to the cover and not enough. And now she's in her face about it. I can't believe it. You count. So we know who's the heel here. We know who's the baby face. We, I mean, we established that from the get-go, but it is it remains as such. They don't give mixed messages here. And we just saw Crush break free of what could have been the doom for her. She turns it around, gets her Olympic slam, which they don't call it that. They call it lights out. And she gets the pin. And the crowd is happy. The crowd is happy. They're actually up on the feet. Now, again, I don't know at what point in the night this took place. It could have just been earlier and people had more energy. But it was a good match, probably one of the better matches of the night. And although I still do not like or care for when they give these introductions to people and have them go out there and lose, as I've said before, it is not a necessity that a debut is met with a win. It makes more sense when you have a debut and an introduction and a vignette that they that they're being presented as a star and you know they get the win. But in this case I'm less upset about it because how they followed it up. So we have that match and you know that I that was fun, at least for me. And they have a nice little watch along. But we go to the next uh, segment. Sophia Lopez 
finds the beast working out somewhere in the bowels of the building or outside or whatever. And why she's not at a gym, I don't know. But she just chooses to be out there behind the gate. And Lopez walks up to her, gives her a flash drive. Assumably is the footage of the attack. That was just my guess. And then as she gives it to her, she says, you owe me. So we move on from that. Now we know that the beast has this flash drive. So whatever investigating powers that the beast had meant nothing because somebody else is giving it to anyway. You know, it, it wasn't all that long ago where the beast was on TV, on camera saying, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm so close. Well, apparently not close enough. Somebody else solved this crime for you. So we go to the next thing, and we have Campanelli runs into Gloria Glitter backstage at the stairwell and more or less basically tells her, hey, look, I know you lost, but you were impressive. And, you know, in so many words, like I got coaches impressed with you. Glitter gives us some words and walks off. I, I don't know where that's heading, but that, but at least Gloria Glitter got something following this. And I can only hope that her matches going forward have a better win-loss record to build her into the star that she probably should be. Uh, get used to that stairwell, by the way, because it feels like they ran out of places to shoot. And so the stairwell became the de facto uh, backdrop. Because not two seconds later, you got them saying, oh, yeah, the mother truckers just got here. Let's cut to them now. We cut to the mother truckers and we see them in what appears to be the exact same stairwell, just redressed. And by redressed, I mean somebody took an LED light and changed the color. When Gloria Glitter was there, the, the lighting was pink. The mother truckers are there, the lighting was blue. All right. But we, we won't go on that too much, I guess. I am not a overall fan of, of the mother truckers. Now, that's not to say that I'm not a fan of Amazing Maria and Hollywood J. But uh, uh, Hollywood Haley J, sorry. That's not to say that I'm not a fan of them. I just don't like their personas as the mother truckers. But they do a promo on being in jail and getting even with banditas. And they... This jail thing is just is beyond ridiculous at this point. I, I, what message are they trying to send? Because when they went to jail the first time, they couldn't wait to get out, so much to the point that they made a deal with the devil, so to speak, to accomplish that. And then when they didn't lay down, it was, we're not afraid of jail. We, we know we're not afraid of it. When, you know, we don't, the jail ain't bothering us, and they was out like the following week. Now they're cutting the promos like, and we remember being in that jail and them taking our commissary and taking our snacks and this, that, had making us go to bed. I was like, it, it just, it feels all over the page as it relates to the mother. Are they afraid of jail or not? That's where it comes down to. Are they afraid of this or not? So anyway, we get Lost Banditas versus the mother truckers, banditas with Sofia Lopez. I am nearly just ready to give up on Los Banditas. I, I thought they had a, the potential to be one of the top teams, but it didn't feel that way. They just get lost in meaningless 
feuds. And I don't go anywhere. It would have been great if they, you know, at least had beaten the tag team champion. Even if it was in a non-title match, just give them some credibility. But they just, they seem like they, one week they could be fantastic and have these, you know, a great match and show this tandem offense. And then they can go the next week like this one and be just ran through. So the commentators make the match, you know, you know they, they couldn't get through this without doing the Hong Kong thing. And I, ugh, that is just annoying. But the uh, mother truckers here, I mean, there's no reason to get into the match. They beat them up fairly easily. They, 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 just, you can go watch that on your own time, but they, they beat them up fairly easily. Like, there's very little time that Los Bandidas is in control of this at all. Uh, Sofia Lopez uh, distracted the mother truckers to allow them to attack, or the banditas to attack them from behind. The banditas have handcuffs. They hit them in the back with handcuffs, and then they put them down, and they handcuff them to the bottom ropes and start beating them up further. This gives the truckers the win by DQ. Now, they would have won anyway by pinfall, but they win by disqualification because they were blatantly attacked with with, uh, handcuffs and beaten up and put to the side and so on and so forth. The truckers cut another promo for a rematch. And so we know that this is going to happen at some point where they're going to get another rematch against Las Banditas because even though they won the match and even though they uh, pretty much handed them that you know a very easy beating, I can't say victory, but they handed them a very easy beating. Los Banditas did you know attempt to get the heat back by handcuffing them and all that good stuff. So I guess we can look forward to the banditas and the mother truckers going in the future. This is this is a, a pointless feud for for me. I I don't see where this is going. This this feels like this entire thing has just been carrying on far too long. From the point that they've been had the truck stolen and arrested and in jail and signed papers and refusing to lay down and. Uh, losing their number one contendership, which was never expressly mentioned that they had one to begin with. And uh, going into this match for revenge, which they got to get another match on top of this for more revenge. It, it just, this is, this is just hard to deal with. I, I'm, I'm so ready for this feud to be over with. Just, just polish this off already. The next promo is for Chainsaw versus Flores for next week, which is an undercard match, not their main event, but that's neither here nor there. The next segment, and this comes back around to what I was talking about before. We were going to get back to Candy Crush, and here we are. Princess Ozzy and Candy Crush meet up in the same stairwell that we saw twice before in the same episode. This time it has been redressed again. It is not pink, nor is it blue. They just have nice, bright, white light. 
So I guess you would not be able to tell the difference that this is the same stairwell because they changed the lighting up, you see. So, you know, that, that, that'll trick you. That'll let you know that this is all a different place. So this is supposed to be some setup for a blow off. This is, this is what David McLean is alluding to. It's like, oh, did, did Princess Ozzy blow off Candy Crush again? This is so childish. I hate to come off of what was a good match and giving Candy Crush praise. This is why I said I like Candy Crush, but I dislike her creative. This is ridiculous. And if and I, I, I honestly, I can't even say that this is obviously heading towards a heel turn because you would have thought the same thing with Coach Campanelli, as big of a jerk as she's been over that first season. Didn't lead to anything. Her yanking the microphone out of Randy Rara's handy like Randy Rara was just perfectly fine taking the verbal abuse and being her lackey. And under normal wrestling logic, that would have led to a match, but didn't go anywhere. So I, so I honestly, even though I feel like this is going to be a heel turn, I cannot in good conscience say that, well, yeah, it's obviously a heel turn because you never know it well. Now, if I were a betting man, if they do manage to do a heel turn, I would imagine that Candy Crush is probably joined up with the Fabulous Four for no other reason than that she wears pink and that she's blonde. Like, that's all the logic that they need when they do these things. She's pink. Uh, she wears pink. She's got pink in her hair, and she's blonde. And that would be all it takes for David McClain to be like, ah, oh, and she was lured in by the the lifestyle of Lana Star and yada, yada, yada. But to go into the specifics here, they happen to meet in the hallway, in the stairwell, Crush and Ozzy. And they have Candy Crush like a 10-year-old coming up to, oh, did you see my match? And I was just, I, I got I saw this new girl and we was rusting off each other. And I, and I said, like, let's go. And I was like, Whew. they should probably send her to either promo class or somebody write better stuff for her. But anyway, she, she's like an excited child. She's talking to Princess Ozzy about, did you get the chance to see my match? Ozzy is like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, so much has been going on and, you know, since I became the champion and, I haven't had a chance, but we'll catch up. And she walks off. And so now you hear Dave McClain do the line, did she just blow her off again? Okay, so now let's cut into this and talk about reality and logic. They have already expressed the idea that this is a TV show and everybody that's on it knows that WOW Superheroes is a television taping. Taping I use loosely because I know they don't actually use tape. Not these days. Why is it so imperative that Princess Ozzy be at ringside or see the match right then and right there? That would be my question if I were in the creative room. Why is it so important that Candy Crush have Princess Ozzy watch her match that day? day 
at ringside or in the locker room right then and right there? For what reason does this become important? And I would really want, I really want somebody from Wild to explain that to me. Because again, we've already established that this is a show. And they know that they're, they're on show that they, you know, the mother truckers accepted wild tickets as payment instead of money, which is stupid, but they did it. So we know that they got a TV show. The Beast went to the TV truck. We, we know that they have a TV show. This entire angle could be squashed in like two sentences if I was in that room. It's like, hey, I'm sorry that I didn't get to see it, but you know what? When the show's over, let's go to the hotel room. We'll put it up on YouTube, and I'll tell you what I like and what I didn't. Done. Wouldn't have to be a blow-off. But because this show's so damn childish, and everybody here has the fortitude of a 10-year-old, Candy Crush is heartbroken and frowning up and um, that she won't watch my match. And then Dave McClain feeds into that nonsense. Then she blow her off again. What? Why would that be motivation for anybody? And, and what boggles my mind mostly about this angle is that it had a perfect setup. It had a perfect story that they chose to ignore. And I hate coming off of praising this thing to get into this, but I have to. This is what could have happened. I'm not going to say should have because there's many other ways that they could have done it. But this is what could have happened. We go back a couple of weeks to the point that uh, Candy Crush gets the title shot against Prince. They made a big damn deal about this. Dave McClain walked in there crying, overacting because she, he was giving her this shot. And she gets the title shot. She doesn't win. She's come close, but she doesn't win. And as she's getting the title, her best friend, Princess Ozzy, comes out there to save the day. Right. Which leads into a tag team match. Where, coincidentally, Princess Ozzy pins the champion. Now she's saying... Hey, I deserve a title match. Boom. That right there should have been the first seed of that being planted. She could have said that you would don't remove Candy Crush from the ring. You have her there. And she can just give her a quick look like, what? Title match? Don't have her say it. It needs to be expressed in her face. But you don't harp on that. She applauds it. Okay, yeah, she does deserve a title match. She's my friend, and I'm going to support her. You get Princess Ozzy, we go to we go the same route that they already went with just a minor change, that minor change. Now we go to the next match. Ozzy gets the title shot. She loses, but she gets on the microphone and tells Dave McClay, I want another shot because I got cheated out of it. Whether you do it at ringside or whether you do it in another segment, that should be the, the next step of rubbing Candy Crush the wrong way. When David McClain says yes, then, you know, then you have a passive-aggressive line or some snide comment that she can say like, well, you know, I never got my, my rematch, but I am happy that he's doing this for you. 
if there's anybody here that I would want to see who had that championship other than me, you would be the one. She should praise her, but there should be a little sign of disappointment in that. We move on to the next thing. Where technically, Princess Ozzy gets shoehorned into a match that she had nothing to do with. She got put in there as what you could perceive as favoritism. Lana Starr said, hey, I had control over Penelope Pink's contract. Why are you doing this? Sophia Lopez said, hey, I had an agreement with Lana Starr. You said that she had... She got to pick who her opponents was. She chose Tormenta. That was an agreement between she and I. Still, Princess Ozzy's inserted into the match. Now you can have the seas being pushed further. Where you can say that Candy Crush gets a phone call from somebody and she walks out of the room. You don't want to unveil who it is, but you know, further down the line, we find you could find out that it's either Lana Star or Sophia Lopez. Either one would do in this in this angle because it would be believable that your friend took your spot. David McLean gave her the spot because he lost. She didn't even earn it. She lost. Where was your rematch? Why didn't he put you in this? Why didn't he make it a full person? Instead, he decided to take our match that we agreed on perfectly legal and binding with the contract in my hand. He blew that off and stuck her into the match. And not only did she get put into the match, she won by beating the wrong person. And, you know, and you then began to build it from that point out. Make the issue about the championship, not about my friend who didn't watch me when I wrestled. When I could have did this at any given time because we worked in a TV show. With matches that are uploaded like within three days of this thing going on there. Why on earth would she care if she didn't see it that moment? She's an adult. Or at least she's supposed to be an adult. But this is just ridiculous. It is childlike behavior inserted into grown women. So the story here, and that, and that was just you know how I view it because wrestling, traditionally, if you have something that you're going to be angry about somebody for, in this environment, what has it usually been around? It's been around you've done something to my family, you've interfered with my money, you've taken my opportunity, you've taken my belt, or you know something thereabout. You hurt somebody that that's close to me. Something. This is just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And there's no about a writing that's going to fix that for them. This is just dumb. So he goes on, he being Dave McClain, like I said, he to sell the idea that she was blown off. And it ends on her face being frowned up allegedly or assumably being mad that Princess Ozzy does not have time for her. Now, I will also add, there is an angle that took place years ago. This is well over, probably 40 years by now, where it was a similar tone. But if that's where they're getting it from, then they missed out on the point of the angle. 
The angle was Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and Hulk Hogan, where they were building up, you know, Mr. Wonderful, but Hogan was always a step higher than him. He was always just a rung higher. He always had just a little bit more fans, and then people start getting into his ear. Like, he doesn't have time for you. He's, he doesn't care. All he needs you for is just to help him when he needs the help. And, you know, initially, he resists that. No, that's not true. But when he makes phone calls to Hogan, and he doesn't answer. Now, remember, this is in 1984. Ain't no cell phone. So if you ain't at home, you're not going to pick it up. And, you know, you got Hogan. Oh, yeah, man. I look, I'm sorry, Mr. Call. You know, the following week, he'll say something like, well, I was working out or whatever the case may be. But it was always a case of somebody that was needling that. Bobby Heenan needling that. Making it so that I'm going to thread the idea, even if it's not true. The circumstances make it so that I can get into your head about it. I'm going to thread the idea that he doesn't want you. He doesn't need you. He's the champion. He, he only needs you when he needs you. Outside of that, he's not your friend. So if they are trying to do the friendship thing, that's fine. But it needed to be something else other than that. If Lana Starr were pushing the idea to Candy Crush, then that would be a different thing. If Sofia Lopez was pushing the idea to Candy Crush, that would be a different thing. Here is just, you didn't watch me. Why not? Absurd. The main event, Princess Ozzy versus Penelope Payne. This is the uh, rematch of sorts that we have for the championship because she never defeated Penelope Payne. Dave McLean reiterates the power was in you story again. That's story for five-year-olds. I mean, sometimes I really question why I watch this sometimes because of things and references like that. The power was in you all along. You didn't need the sticks. God damn. So they start advertising uh, next week's match, and it's going to be the Tonga Twins versus Miami Sweet Heat again. I don't have a problem with either team, but this is stretching on a bit far. Vigil and McCoy and Lana start come out with Penelope Pink, and we had the match. Now, the match in and of itself is fine, but it, it, I'm just going to go out and say it's not as important as the end result of the match. And that's that's largely what this is. The end result of the match is more important than the match itself. And that's, that's on two folds. Again, the match is fine. Pink and Ozzy work well together. Although I think Crush and Glitter was a, may have edged out just in terms of, you know, how well they did with each other for two people who didn't have any sort of um, matches prior to this that we're aware of. But uh, at the end of the match, we're just going to go down towards the end. And both ladies did a fine job, Pink and Ozzy. They did a fine job. Penelope Pink still, you know, is a you know, nice heel in this in this case, and for whatever reasons, like I said, they 
during the championship matches, it's not like Lana Starr felt important to be at ringside then, but just important now. Along with Vicky Lynn McCoy. But at the end, we see the beast. And like I said, this is why I say that the, the important part here is the end. The beast comes storming out like she has, you know, bad intentions for somebody. And she's eyeballing Vicky Lynn McCoy. Vicky Lynn sees her, turns around, approaches her a second, and immediately gets speared. And she sells the spear like death. Like she gets hit and she's just thrashing around on the ground like, oh, my God, my ribs, you know. So now the beast is beating up on Vicky Lynn McCoy because we are now to assume that Vicky Lynn McCoy was responsible for the beast's ankle being broken. Which would, in my mind, a lot for a masterful mastermind months in advance plan. But we'll go into that a little later. While this is going on, Princess Ozzy catches Penelope Pink with the Ozzy cutter. Which again is why I said I don't think that they should have anybody else using it but her. That's one of her big moves. That sets up Penelope Pink. She's laying out flat. She's ready for the big frog splash. And good on the camera, or not the cameraman, but good on the editors to kind of jump that away from it looking, from the impact looking less than impressive. And the way that they cut it makes it look very good. One, two, three, clean win. Princess Ozzy defeats Penelope Pink again. It's not like the first time that she beat her. And she gets the monkey off her back of that I never defeated the champion. Or at least I didn't defeat her for the championship. In this case, she did defeat her for the championship. It's just that the championship was on the in her hands and she was defending it rather than trying to gain it. So we have that. And the two important elements that leave out of this particular segment is the victory of Princess Ozzy and Vicky Lynn McCoy being exposed, or I guess Vicky Lynn McCoy at the behest of Lana Starr being exposed as the uh, attacker to the beast. Uh, although this hat is cartoony elements, it did move well, I, I must say. Um, and I can't really get too, too bad on it or, or, you know, dog it out too badly, except for that little segment that I just went off on. It is a B as far as grade is concerned. It was a B show. It was good. Had a down spot in it, but overall it was good. Wow oftentimes makes these jumps in logic when we're talking about how well the the dots connect. And this is one of those cases of like, I'm not sure the dots all connected here. Vicky Lynn McCoy attacking the beast. Let's look at the attack. First off, the beast, had already had an ankle broken. And I said at the time, having a secondary attack on her was just, a, it, it was unnecessary and it was a hat on a hat. They could have gotten the same mileage out of Tormenta going around claiming that she ended the career of the beast. 
even though we would know it's not true, she could have stood on that and it would have made Tormenta have something. She already has a hard time in that company being viewed as a legitimate threat. It would have given her credibility. It would have given her, like I said, something that she could stand on, something that she could brag about, something that she could carry for months, and it would have created a ready-made feud by the time the Beast came back. But they didn't decide to do that. What they decided to do instead was announce that the Beast was better, and then within minutes of announcing that she was better and that she was back, that she was attacked all over again, and she was going to be out until she was able to heal it up. Which they never acknowledged, by the way, the person that they had on the show that uh, talked her into not quitting. Because they make it to be like, I never quit. But on that episode, they make it seem like she was going to. Until Jungle Girl came out just like, no, we don't quit. And you know, I'm going to train you and yada, yada. That was never really acknowledged ever again. So the beast is crippled and has to wait for her ankle to heal. The championship is off of her. And now is creates a opening for the title. They never, you know, said that if she loses it, it's going to go, you know, into a tournament mode. It's just assumed that that was going to happen, I guess. And then they had the gauntlet match, which Penelope Pink didn't even qualify for in the first place. She was beaten by Princess Ozzy. But since it was a pre-taped gauntlet match that they didn't show any of the first half of on TV, they just inserted Penelope Pink in there like, oh, yeah, she had a wild card. And then they changed that narrative from it was a wild card to uh, what is it? she was – negotiated in by a lot of stuff, some nonsense like that. They, they have retold and retconned that story two or three times now to try to drive home the fact that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that it was a, <laughs> a fluke that Penelope was in there. This was all some sort of master plan. And I'm assuming that this is where this is going to try to tie in that this is all some sort of master plan. We will hurt the beast, get the title off the beast, and somehow we'll insert Penelope Pink into a championship match eventually that she'll win and you know we'll move on from there. Now, if this was more tightly knit together, that would have made sense, but I find it very difficult to believe that the attack on the beast was there to further the the gains of the Fabulous Four. But I'm sure that's where it's going to be, and we'll find out as time goes on. This creative that WoW has been on is not vastly different than what they had the previous year. I, I know when they started up season two, I was like, oh, man, it looks different. It's better. It's Moving along, but it feels like they're reverting backwards now. And reverting backwards into a point where it's like, this is just ridiculous. But I guess we're going to find out that Lana Starr is some sort of mastermind and that she had planned this all along. We will see. Another question I was asked before we get out 
is should WoW acknowledge and talk about the wrestlers? Now, for those of you who don't know, the wrestlers is a docu-series that's on uh, Netflix now. The reason that I was asked that is because two people that are on WoW television is on the Netflix documentary. Who are those two people, you may ask? It is Amazing Maria and Hollywood Haley J, who we know on this show as the mother truckers, the mother-daughter duo, the legitimate mother-daughter duo of uh, Big Rig Betty and uh, Holly Swag. And it was brought up like, hey, you know, they should they should talk about that. They should bring up the, the that the, the series that a, that might get some more eyeballs on them, and, and you know, something like that. I was like, no, that's 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 not going to do anything for for a while. I was like, I hate it, and that and and let me put this uh, disclaimer out. Well, I shouldn't say disclaimer, but let me paint the scenario. The person that's mentioned this is a casual wrestling fan at best. So he's he's not into, you know, the podcasts and the websites and the behind-the-scenes stuff as we are. He's just a random fan, and he saw this, and he kind of checked it out, and I told him, well, yeah, those two are also on WoW, which is what sparked up this conversation to begin with. But I had to express to them, like, no, they don't need to mention the wrestlers on their show. One, they're not getting anything from that. They're not getting paid or anything. If anything, the wrestlers is a driving force for OVW wrestling, not WOW. It just happens to have two people who are on WOW in it. But in the most technical terms, you can't even say that because they aren't presented as Big Rig Betty. Or Holly Swag, the mother truckers. They're presented as Amazing Maria and Hollywood Haley. So it would come off to the average eyes as, I'm hesitant to say confusing, but I'm going to say it anyway, as somewhat confusing. Because you could imagine somebody looking at that who only knows wow and they, and they see this like, now wait a minute. Aren't they the mother truckers? Why are they fighting each other? What's this whole thing about? I thought they were, were tag team partners. And everything that has happened with them on OVW television completely contradicts what they do on WOW. On OVW television, Haley J is a parental nightmare. She's the child that's out of control who thinks she's too good and too smart for everybody else, her mother included. Amazing Maria's on there, and you know the whole precipice of their match, which they have uh, promoted heavily. And you can see that match, by the way, it's on YouTube. You can, you can catch it in full. And then, and it's not even the first time, probably not even the last, that they've wrestled against each other. But the whole driving force behind that match was emotion. This child is out of control. This is Al Snow in the ring, saying she's because she's hit everybody over the head with a slapjack and this, that, and the other. Like she's out of control, and either you do something about her or I am. Amazing Maria, her mom comes and look. Please don't do that. Don't press charges because I think it was going to be something to the point he was just going to press charges. It's like don't do that. It's just 
let me handle it even if you got to put me in a match order but just don't don't do this and he said all right fine you want to take care of this this is your responsibility now but if you can't then i'm gonna have to step in so now you get over to the match and they are doing what they can to tell that story in front of the ovw crowd amazing maria gets into the ring but by the time she's there, she is now seeing her child, not some problem kid across the race. She's seeing her child. And she doesn't want to do this. And so they build it, and they build it, and they build it. And there's a case of getting the audience to the point that they are almost begging for this woman to fight back. And at some point, she hear, you can hear her say, like Holly said, why, aren't you, why won't you fight me? She's yelling at her, fight me. And she's like, I want you to do it. And Amazement is like, because I love you, goddammit. You know, that, that type of thing. And then it finally gets to the point where she has no choice. If this is all that you will accept, if this is the only way that I can teach you a lesson here, then I'm going to have to fight my own child. And against her better wishes, against her emotions, against what she wants to do, she fights back. That's the story. But that story can't exist in WoW because they're the mother truckers. And WoW doesn't have that kind of, in all due respect to WoW, I'm not saying this as a knock to them, who, if they do hear it, because sometimes they do, but <laughs> all due respect to them, they don't tell that type of story. As evident by what I just told you earlier with Princess Ozzy and Candy Crush, they don't go for emotion. They go for what would be easy it's perceived as easy you didn't watch her match and that's it it's like once you do that they move on americana you smashed my my son's tablet and what was the what was the fix to that she did a, a handstand elbow and a and a moonsault that's it you tore up my gloves earlier in the year Candy Crush, the angle where they, they stole her gloves. She went weeks trying to get those things. And then when they finally able to get it, well, you know, I don't need them. I realized that the power's inside of me. They have some of the most anticlimactic angles I've ever seen in any wrestling company, bar none. That story does not fit wow's narrative nor financially would they gain anything from it i know what he was trying to say he would what he was trying to say was if they can attach themselves to this docuseries on netflix somehow then they would reap the benefits from it it might drive people back but they but they can't because it's not like they can insert anything from wow into it unless ovw wanted it there it's not like they can assert the narrative of, well, you know, there are also these other two characters in a, an entirely different TV show. It's like that. It doesn't work that way. Nor do they have any, they don't stand to gain anything financially from it. I already said that. And they barely promote the, the documentaries that they do own. So why would they ever promote that? No point in it. So that was. 
episode 57 of WOW Flash Drive Surprise. And I guess we are now going to tune in to see whether the Beast will continue to get her revenge. And I guess they are going to blow what could have been a built-up angle right on off. But we will find out next week all those questions and more next week. So, folks, thanks for tuning in. And uh, I appreciate everyone that has gone in. If you haven't liked any of these videos, please like the video. It does help. Helps the algorithm. Helps us get this thing out to more people. Helps it grow. And, uh, you know, growth is always a big thing here. And I also want to say for those who have not, you can go onto our YouTube page. And if you're not into comedy wrestling, if that is not your thing, then you can go on there and get the No Silly Stuff. I'm going to keep that clean. No Silly Stuff, Just Wrestling shirt. That's right. The No Silly Stuff, Just Wrestling. Go on there to the store tab. Got some leggings down there, too, for you young ladies if you want some of those. Got, got some print joggers. But No Silly Stuff, Just Wrestling. That is the shirt that I wear right now because I'm not super into the comedy wrestling. I believe in wrestling, though. No Silly Blank, Just Wrestling. Right now, available from spring. Go to the store tab. Click the button. 20 bucks. That's all it is. 20 bucks. And you can express your feelings about pro wrestling and how you like it at your next wrestling show with that shirt. And with that, this is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And we will see you on the next go-round. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel, at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>